Hello again, this is Father Kelly Edwards at the St. Gabriel Hotel in Bethlehem. Today we finally had uh, a first full day in Bethlehem. Yesterday we had kind of arrived, uh, but didn't do a whole lot in the city. Uh, today we had a full day in the city of Bethlehem, though. It began with fish at breakfast. Uh, I haven't had any of it so far, but at every both hotels we've been at, uh, there has been some variety of sliced salmon and other fishes at breakfast, um, mixed with vegetables often, but it just doesn't, hasn't seemed right to have fish with breakfast yet. Maybe I'll try it eventually. But our first real place to go today, aside from the dining hall, was the Shepherd's Fields, the place where, if you recall, when Christ was born, angels appeared to shepherds, angels singing glory to God in the highest, announcing that Christ was born. And so we went to the fields and then also the, the next door caves where those shepherds would have been staying. So they would have been out in these nearby fields and hills with their sheep. And then when they heard the angels, they went into the city proclaiming proclaiming that Christ was born. They went to go visit him. So it was, of course, a great opportunity to go into those caves to, to see that place where those shepherds may have been. Uh, and it was you know, interesting to be in the cave because apparently lots of people lived in these caves, which are seemingly quite abundant in the area. And this was not the cave where Mary and Joseph ever were, but our guide used it to explain some interesting interpretations of, you know, what no room at the inn meant and those, those kind of um, nativity details uh, that we think of. And it's, his point was that our American ears are probably missing some of what it actually meant. He was telling us that, uh, well, first off, in in the culture of the time, it was incredibly rude to not allow, it was not even acceptable in any way, to not have people visiting town to stay with you. So Mary and, jo- Mary and Joseph, jo- Joseph being from Bethlehem, of Bethlehem, would have known people there, and so those people would have been obliged to have them in their home. Uh, they would have had no other choice. But we hear in Scripture there's no room at the inn, so they stayed in the stable. Now, most of us think about that meaning, oh, well, there's no room in a hotel, and so they stayed in a barn. Um, you know, of course, that could be the case. But our guide was insisting that you know hotels, inns, like we think of, weren't really even a thing because everyone was... Uh, Staying in family members' houses was so expected that there wasn't, wouldn't be such a thing, especially in a small town like Bethlehem. And so his interpretation is that no room at the inn. The inn was the same word used for like the living room, the common area. So if a family lived in a cave, the front part would be the inn, the living space. And then the back part, because you kept your animals in your house for security so no one would steal them, the the manger, the stable, was the back part of the cave. So when Mary and Joseph stayed at their family member's house, whoever it was, they there was no room in the inn, the living room, so they had to stay in the stable in the back. Basically, it's as if someone came to your house and there was no room on the couch in the living room, so they had to sleep in the garage. So that was that was his um, interpretation of that. And it all, it all still squares with the story. Um, Still, it is a, a a extremely humble place for the Son of God to be born. So, we explored the cave a little bit. It's not a very big cave, but we went inside there. Um, 
and then later Tony Brandt gave us a talk outside was reflecting on the the incredible glory of the angels having appeared in this place I mean, what really must it have been like I really imagine the great fear but also joy and exultant praise of God who send God is so happy that Christ has been born that he sends his angels just just go tell somebody just go tell whoever you find and um, announce that Christ has been born you know, God is himself is so joyful this day that he sends angels to announce to the shepherds also in great joy um, this is a sidebar. Um, I'm not sure why I haven't I haven't had a chance to ask the guide yet. But Arle de Guadalupe and Mexico, in a way, seem to have a hold here. Um, so far, every day I have seen Arle de Guadalupe somewhere, and in fact, her image was in this shepherd's cave. For no, I mean, it wasn't there wasn't anything else Marian going on. This there she was on the wall, and lots of places have. Um, agave plants or that similar kind of desert plants obviously from uh, the American Southwest or from Mexico around so it's it's kind of curious that uh, Arle de Guadalupe uh, I didn't expect her to be over here uh, but here she is obviously it shows to her sort of uni- to her universal appeal that she is uh, the tender mother to all people so now I'm expecting to see her and I'm wondering not if I will see her today uh, but where I will see her Next, we went to uh, the Church of the Nativity, which is in Bethlehem. So the church built over the place where Christ was born. And our guide was very insistent that uh, there is no disputing this place. It's been known since the first century that this is the place that Christ was born. In fact, it was marked uh, very early on. So... Uh, it's, you know, some might doubt it, but there's really historically no mystery. This is the place where Christ was born. Uh, no doubt about it. So we went into, well, first we went and had mass at St. Catherine's, which is right next door, uh, because, well, actually we did something else before that. Hold on. So we walked by the Church of the Nativity, but then, uh, before going there, because our mass time wasn't until later, we went to a place called the Milk Grotto, which is, once again, a uh, cave in a hillside. There's lots of these around here. Um, they're not the big, I guess, I'd say that the caves we're going to be used to in America where it's um, been worn out by a river through limestone. These are much more sort of small, you know, a bear might live in them kind of caves, not the big expansive, you know, carving of rock via water kind of caves. I'm not sure how they're formed, but they're not, they're not that kind of, you know, grand stalactite, stalagmite sort of caves. Anyways, this particular one, um, of course, over which many churches have been built, is called the Milk Grotto. And basically the story is that Mary and Joseph were staying here at some point after the birth of Jesus. Um, Think about at the uh, Epiphany when the wise men come. They visit Mary and Joseph in their house, and Jesus is uh, maybe around two years old. So tradition has it this is a place that they were staying. It's called the Milk Grotto because very curiously... All of the stones in the cave are white, an unusual, um, very profound kind of white stone. And the tradition is that it was normal stone until Mary and Joseph were there. And while breastfeeding, uh, Mary dropped some of the uh, some some milk got dropped, and so that that turned the stones white. Now, take that for what it is, uh, but it is could easily be seen. You know, that still doesn't. Whether you, however you feel about that particular detail um, doesn't affect the likelihood that 
Uh, this is a holy place where Mary and Joseph spent some time, and perhaps the wise men came to visit them. In there, there's a wonderful um, tradition you can obviously see because of uh, the association with Mary and Joseph and, and children and you know, family life that um, to, to pray for intercession for, uh, to have children and uh, for marriage in general. So it was a blessing for me to be able to offer prayers of thanksgiving for somebody who was here previously who prayed for children, for a family member of theirs, and that prayer has been granted. So I has, was blessed to be able to uh, offer prayers of thanksgiving and uh, thank God and thank Mary for that blessing. Also, a number of the member, a couple that's in our group, uh, were blessed, uh, specifically asking Mary's intercession in this place to help them have a child. So it was a very uh, touching and tender moment, and certainly very fitting for this place where Mary and Joseph were. Um, around the back, if you keep going through the cave, there's been a um, an added-on area. I, I'm not sure of the geography happening above, but obviously. This back part of the cave, and it seems like it comes out of the hillside, but then a church has been built over it, is a very beautiful adoration chapel where there are nuns doing perpetual adoration for the Blessed Sacrament. So in this place where the holiness of the Holy Family resided, at least for a little while, there are nuns always praying, uh, praying for Christ's nativity, Christ's coming into the world, Um, not just at Christmas, but, but always and forever Christ's coming to us. So we left the Milk Grotto, went back around to the Nativity Church, went over to St. Catherine's, which is built right next to it. Uh, The Nativity Church itself is an Eastern Orthodox Church, so we couldn't have Mass in there. But St. Catherine's is literally built wall-to-wall right next to it. So we had Mass there at St. Catherine's. Um, Beautiful church in its own right, but definitely a much newer kind of church. So we went back, um, I mean, literally they're chair walls right next door. So we went back into the Orthodox Church and got in line to go down and pray in the Nativity Cave, in the place where Christ himself was born. There's quite a line, as you might imagine. It's an important place. Uh, But fortunately, fortunately, the line, the wait for the line is in a wonderfully gorgeous place. It is inside the nave of the church, which is the oldest church in the world, the oldest Christian church in the world. And why it's the oldest Christian church in the world is that Jerusalem and cities like that have always um, had problems with invaders. And they come in and tear down what's there and reduce everything to rubble and sort of start over. This particular church, though, when they came in, the Persians, they noticed that it had, the Persians who had torn down every other church in Bethlehem, they noticed that it had three Persian kings on the walls, being the three wise men. They didn't know who they were, in terms of the scriptural sense, but they didn't destroy the church for that reason. So in this church, which I think is this one from the 4th century, you know, parts of it at least, it's been obviously renovated and they've had to, I'm sure, replace the roof and things like that. Um, But the main body of the church is from the 4th century. Some of the mosaics survive, stunningly beautiful. One can only imagine these uh, rich, gilded, flourishing church walls covered entirely in gold. But even the parts that survive are absolutely magnificent. So we waited in line for there. Um, and it's a it's an Eastern Orthodox church, so lots of detail, lots of uh, gold and, oh, what do they call them? Not lanterns, but 
not candles, um, but just on chain lights, lights everywhere. Um, so many details. Um, there is not a surface that is not there's not a surface undecorated or uncovered with just beautiful stuff. Um, the Roman style is very much subdued and sort of surfaces are available. But in the Eastern Orthodox style, everything is covered with everything. Um, it's almost chaos, but it's a beautiful kind of chaos. So we're waiting in line, waiting in line, admiring this wonderful church. Um, as we get close to the grotto, as we get close to uh, going in, which is kind of a round set of steps that go into a single doorway. Uh, we, if everyone's ever, if anyone's ever been to been on European travel, sort of touristy kind of stuff. You know that lines don't stay lines very well sometimes. You know, us Americans like to stay in nice, neat lines. We don't mind that. The rest of the world doesn't. So three of us at the back of the group had to literally barricade the back end of our group so that it wouldn't get... So we could, we could all stay together as a group. And it's so strange. I literally had to put my arm out and stop this little old lady from literally weaseling her way up into the middle of our group. It's like, no, ma'am, we're a group. We're all going in together. Just hold on. And she was scowling at me. It's like, no, I mean, I didn't say anything to her. I just used body language to tell her, no, we are staying together. You can wait. You are in line behind us. Don't try and jump in. Interesting travel experiences. So you go into this little cave chapel uh, underneath the altar of this church. And of, of course, everything is... Um, all covered in stone and gold and cloth, you know, rich cloths and decorations. There's not any of the cave itself visible. The only connection to that, um, again, because that's the eastern style to cover everything and everything. Um, but in the cave, there is a large silver star in the floor. And in that star, there's a hole in the middle of it, which you can reach through to touch touch the, the little floor of the cave and it's in the corner of the cave where Christ was born. So that's what the line of the people everyone's coming in to do. You have to crouch down. It looks like a, a fireplace, basically. And you put your head inside there. And you have to put like kind of the top half of your body inside there. And you can put your hand inside the hole in this star and touch the place on the floor where Jesus was born. And, of course, uh, you offer prayer. I offered prayer for, for my family and for um, other families that I know um, with some special intentions there. And then you get up and move out to the side, but it's you, know, you can't spend a whole long time because you know there's a massive line behind you, people waiting to get in and have the same spiritual uh, moment of prayer. But it was, of course, a blessing to be in that place. And like many things around here, um, I'm sure it won't be appreciated until later. Only later will I be able to look back and um, go, wow, you know, to really dive into the reality of having been in the place where Christ our Savior was born. We go back outside the church. Um, not quite lunchtime yet, even though we're getting hungry. We go to the, I believe it's Israel National Museum or something like that. I don't remember the name of it precisely. But outside they have a model of the ancient city of Jerusalem. And not on a table, a little model. Not even on a, on a, on a big table, but it's outside. It's probably, oh, 200 by 200 feet square. It's not perfectly square, but it's about that size. So it's a very large model. The, the guy told us it was 150th scale. So a, a very substantial model. And it's Jerusalem as it was at the first century. So he took us, you know, walking around the model, showing us 
you know, obviously the temple is a very blatant, you know, you can tell where the temple is. But then pointing out lots of things, you know, different pools, different stairs, uh, different gates where various parts of scripture came in. And later we're going to go to the top of Mount, to Mount of, the Mount of Olives. And so he wanted us to have that image of the city in the first century so that when we are up on top of the mountain, we're looking down into the valley talking about the city, we'll have a first century image of the city in our mind that we can relate to. So when he points out stuff that's now obviously modified from the way it was 2,000 years ago, we can still have a sense for um, what that what that first century city was like. While we were there, we had a chance to explore part of the museum that was is focused on the Qumran scrolls, the ones that were found in, in the caves that that had um, you know turned out to have these uh, ancient translations of scripture, and it was you know a great boon for for uh, historians to see what the state of scripture was in the first century. Very fascinating uh, to learn about the, the the Qumran community, which honestly sounds just like monasticism. Uh, you know, study, prayer, work, eating together in silence, those sorts of things. So yeah, these sound like Benedictines. What's special about that? Of course, they were before the Benedictines, uh, but it was again very fascinating. It did lead to a a typical kind of travel adventure. Our tour guide had told us, you know, go look at that part of the museum but then just come back out the way you came. Otherwise, you'll end up stuck like outside in the parking lot where the museum exits. So we went to go just backtrack like we were supposed to, like we were told to, and the dose in the museum said, no, 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 you can't go back there. You, you must go out this other direction. It's like, well, crap, okay. So we go back out dutifully, end up out in the parking lot like we knew we would. We thought, oh, we'll just, we'll just walk back in the front gate. That seemed to go smoothly before. And we didn't remember that the, the our tour guide doing anything at the gate. He just seemed to wave us through. So uh, we just walked back around and walked back through the, through the front turnstile like nothing. And then we started getting yelled at by the security guard there who earlier just seemed to, to have flagged us through. Started yelling at us, like, well, do you think it's free today? What are you doing? You know, get back. You have to pay. We're like, what? We were in here earlier and we, I, I guess we paid our tour guide. Don't you remember us? It was like an hour ago. And this, not really dramatic scene, but we're like, we'll go find him. He's right here inside, you know, in the cafe right around the corner where we were going. And he kind of scowled at us, yeah, just go. My bet is that he began to remember us and realize that uh, his mistake, which I understand. I mean, it's his job to do security there. That's fine. But it was just one of those uh, travel confusion where you just laugh here and go, well, that was an adventure. I've had enough of those by now in various uh, pilgrimages and you know, travel. Uh, I was fine with it. Some of our group were a bit, oh my gosh, how much are we in trouble? Like, no, don't worry. It'll work out. He's not going to call the police on us. It'll be fine. So after that, um, had lunch. Lovely. Then we went to Shibley's, which is a, well, the store's called Candos, but Shibley is a man who deals in antiquities, man primarily, but he has he has a fantastic gift shop in the Holy Land. In fact, his grandfather, A, helped discover the Dead Sea Scrolls, and B, was the first one to open a gift shop in the Holy Land. This is no chintzy junk kind of gift shop, though. I mean, they have the cheap stuff, but he is uh, very careful to have only quality, handmade things 
made by local Christians. Um, I mean, that's how all that olive wood stuff that you probably see from the Holy Land began to be made as to support the local Christian community. But then, sadly, uh, many of them were forced out of business and, in fact, forced to leave the Holy Land because of it, because there began to be Chinese, cheap Chinese-made imports driving down the cost of you know, just driving down prices. So if you're ever in the Holy Land as a sidebar, make sure you buy as well as you're able. Make sure you are getting olive wood products made locally by local Christians to support lo- those local peoples and not buying cheap foreign-made junk that has a Jerusalem stamp on it. I don't know. I'm not sure how you would know that for sure, but um, a competent tour guide should be able to tell you that. So we're in Chibli's store, and he's uh, been very good to us in many ways. This is one of those um, fantastic men who might be a saint someday. Um, his grandfather helped d- discover the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in various ways, but not just that that's great about him. He also, um, you know, dealing in antiquities, um, he would be buying things like icons, but there's a black market for those sorts of things. So he, he recognized that a lot of them were stolen from churches. Uh, many of them come legitimately, but a lot of them were stolen from churches in the East, especially. And so he would often buy them and then give them back to the church from which they were stolen. Um, he was that kind of guy. Um, Shibley, the grandson of that man, um, he runs his store to help support local Christians. Uh, he also gives many much of his profits to a foundation that supports um, autistic children here in, in Bethlehem. Um, one of those people who works incredibly hard to do incredibly good work. I mean, he runs a business. He's a successful businessman, but he runs his business so that he can do good for the world, so that he can love his neighbors in very concrete ways. Um, very excellent man. So we were very happy to support his store, and, and he gave us uh, generous discounts. Um, if anyone from from St. Francis is interested specifically, uh, we did buy a very, very beautiful, uh, or from Enid rather, not just St. Francis, a very, we bought a very beautiful, um, about 18 inches tall statue of Mary carved from a single piece of olive wood. It is, it is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And it will be on auction. It will be at the Taste of St. Joe's auction as a donation to support the school. So I'm sure I'll post a picture of it, but look forward to that because she is very beautiful. The conclusion of the evening was one that we weren't really expecting. We'd had kind of a long day, lots of standing around, lots of, um, you know, just every day in the Holy Land is a whirlwind and can be kind of emotionally exhausting. So our tour guide, Rami, in addition to being an excellent tour guide for the Holy Land, he's number two rated out of all of them. He also runs a restaurant and bar called Cheers. Um, the logo is a bit different from the TV show, but only a bit different. So he's usually closed on Mondays, but he invited us in anyways to have drinks at his restaurant on the house. So after this pretty long, grueling day, and after we've had a couple days like that, um, it was a huge blessing to sit back, enjoy some drinks, listen to music, and just have a good conversation. Just rest, relax, get to you know, know people more, just laugh and tell stories. Uh, what a fantastic ending to the day. Then we came back and had dinner. And then I think pretty much everybody fell right into bed. Um, I'm a night person, but 
I was in bed by 9.30 p.m. because I was absolutely wiped out. In fact, usually I would be recording this, you know, going through the day, be recording it in the evening before I go to bed. Um, But at 9.30, I just fell into bed. So I'm actually recording this the morning afterwards, um, recording it on day five, about day four. Um, Today, I think we're going to be going to the Jordan River, um, not to get rebaptized, but just to visit it. And then uh, I think swim in the Dead Sea, perhaps, and go to the Mount of Olives. So, again, now that I'm praying for you all, please pray for us. And uh, God bless. Hope to see you back soon.